0: Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. The past few weeks, we've been uh, going through different scenes in the life and the ministry of Jesus, and they're not disconnected. They're actually uh, purposefully built. The past few weeks, I've been taking you on the exact journey that Jesus took leading up to the cross, and you know, the the, resu- the next stop on this is the resurrection, you know? And, but today is a, is a pretty special moment on this journey. Uh, do, does anyone know what today is? You guys all went to Sunday school, I could tell you all. You went to Children's Church, Kingdom Kids, something like that. Palm Sunday, that's right, it's awesome. And uh, it's a really special moment. Today is the day of the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem, fulfilling the messianic prophecy that Zechariah said, Behold your king, daughter of Zion, coming lowly and riding on a donkey. Jesus came in humility in this great procession, in this great parade. And and we love this moment. I got to tell you, I, I love this moment because it feels like just for a split second, humanity almost realizes he's the one. For a split second, it's almost as if the crowd finally gets it. He's the one that we've all been waiting for. And, and, and it's, it's, it's a mighty moment, but let me tell you, it's, it's just a taste of the great moment that is to come in revelations when the, when the clouds parts and the heavens open and Jesus comes on a mighty horse. This is, this is a great moment that we look forward to. And the Bible says the second coming of Christ, he will put his feet in the very same place of his first coming, he's going to descend where he ascended, and his feet will touch the Mount of Olives, and he comes back as a mighty general, a conquering king, and every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. Every eye will see Jesus is Lord. And so our hope is in that moment. And we look. To that Mount of Olives in great expectation, waiting for the Son of Man, the Son of God, to descend again. So when we talk about this moment, we know that there's another moment. You know, we have to see it in the great span of God's story. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's declaring himself as Messiah, you know, and and he's allowing the people to understand he is Messiah. This is a, a great moment and a great declaration. And leading up to this moment, something really special happens. Last week, we talked about Lazarus, who was raised from the dead. Lazarus was the friend of Jesus, and, and Jesus called him out of, his, out of his grave, and he took the grave clothes off him. He unwrapped him, and he let him go. And, and there's just something about Jesus that not just brings life, he brings wholeness, and then he brings liberty. Unwrap him and let him go. And Lazarus walked out of his own grave under his own power into a life of freedom. That's what happens when Jesus shows up in the midst of tragedy and in the midst of death. He he comes and he begins to unbind you and he comes to bring liberty, knowing one day we're going to walk into complete and total freedom with Christ Jesus in heaven. That's our hope. Can you say amen? amen? Amen. And today, so, so, so I want to key off that moment, and, and I want to talk to you about the moment that happened right after that that leads to the triumphal entry of Jesus. If you have your Bible, you can turn to the book of John, John chapter 12. It says this, six days before the Passover, so this is right in that final week of the Passion, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. And Martha served. Here we find Martha. She's back to normal. She's doing what she loves. Serving, taking care of things, getting the kitchen ready. Here's Martha. I love when when you read the Bible, you get to know the characters. And you just see, man, these are real people. Here she is again serving. And here's Lazarus, the dead man. But he's one of them reclining at the table. That's the best dinner he's ever had. You know, you talk about the last meal. This is his first meal after the last meal. And now we find Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. She therefore took a pound of expensive ointment, pure nard, a- a- and anointed the feet of Jesus and-, and wiped his feet with her hair. We, we see in-, in Mark that it says that she not just anointed his feet, she anointed his hair as well. She began to pour out this extremely expensive perfume over, over Jesus. And the Bible says the house, the whole house, was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. It began to fill the whole room. And all of a sudden, Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, uh, the one that was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii? Don't you think it's interesting? Judas knows exactly how much this costs. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's that's pure Nard you got there. Let me see that. Did you get that on sale? You didn't? That's 300 denarii. That's a whole year's wages. This guy, he, he knows the expensive, the top shelf stuff. Why didn't you sell it and give it to the poor? You know, it's about the poor for Judas, right? Poor, poor me. I mean, I mean, just the poor. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. I love John. John is the best friend of Jesus. So he just blows up Judas's spot. You know, the other writer said some of the disciples said, John says, let me tell you what some of the. It wasn't some of it. It was Judas. Judas said it because he was a thief. Judas, (laughs) you see. It's just imagine mad John, John writing it. He writes some of the, you know what, Judas, <laughs> who was a thief, having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it, stealing from the offering. You see that though he was following Jesus, he had another God. And Judas said this, uh, or Jesus said this to Judas, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Another translation said, leave her alone. She's been keeping this for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. I love Jesus because he says to Judas, you're, you're concerned with the poor, don't worry. You're, you'll get your chance. The poor you'll always have with you, because I know what that, that, that's what it's about, Judas, right? It's about the poor. Don't worry. Tomorrow you can go right out there and help them. But well, you won't always have me. What's Jesus doing? It's beautiful. He's subtly exposing the intentions of Judas. It wasn't about the poor. Judas was, a, it was all about Judas. And Jesus was saying, but here's a holy moment. This is a special time. God on earth, and I'm walking towards my death. And Mary senses it. She knows it. And so she, she breaks out the burial perfume and anoints Jesus in anticipation Of what's about to happen. She knew that because Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. That Jesus put his life on the line. In fact the word even went out. That they were searching for Jesus. Right after he raised Lazarus from the dead. The Bible says the chief priests put the word out. They wanted to arrest Jesus. It's amazing. Usually you know the authorities are searching for a killer. Here they're searching for a resurrector. It's because he brought someone to life. That's why they're chasing him down in order to put him to death. And the Bible says, and the authorities also decided to put Lazarus to death. Which if I was Lazarus, I'd be like, are are you guys for real? (laughs) like, well, like this, this is horrible luck. Seriously, I I just was there. (laughs) And we see after this dinner, uh, there's this great moment, the crowd gathers around and, and here comes the triumphal entry. In Luke chapter 19, it says this, as he was drawing near, already, On the way down of the Mount of Olives. And this is a picture of the Mount of Olives facing towards Jerusalem. You see the east gate in the distance, which is where Jesus came. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives. This is the very road. We know the exact ancient path. The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God. With a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven. And glory in the highest. Sounds like what the angels were singing on the first night of his birth. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Silence them. How dare they worship you like that? But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. If my disciples didn't worship me, the very stones would cry out in worship. Let's pray. God, we thank you that today we get to worship you. I thank you, God, that today we get to cry out, God. God, that we don't have to wait on the whole earth to cry out, but us, your creation, we get to cry out. And I pray that, God, that our whole life cries out in worship to you, God, that our actions and our attitudes and our decisions, God, I pray it's all a worship to you, God. God, I pray today, right now, our worship and our lifestyle comes from the response of your great grace. We thank you for what you did. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. 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 Today, I want to talk to you a little bit about worship. And the reality is, worship is a response to God's grace. When I talk about worship, I don't mean just the ability to play the piano or the ability to hold a note or or, or write a, a lyric. Worship is so much more than music. That's only one side. What worship really is, is giving. It's sacrificing. Worship is giving of yourself, of your time, of your mind, of, of, your, of your body, certainly of your money. But, but worship is all inclusive. You, you don't worship with just one thing. You worship with your whole life. And so I, I, I pray that us as Christians and us as Jesus followers, I pray our whole life is a worship to God but not because we have to or not because you've heard a sermon or not because I preach or not because you feel like you have to or or you have rules or I pray it's a response to what God first did so we don't worship to get anything from God we worship because God already so willingly gave to us worship is a response to God's goodness the bible says it's God's goodness his kindness that leads men and women to repentance It's not the rules or the law. It's his goodness that leads us to repent, to change, to love, to live following Jesus Christ. And so today, I wonder if I could take you a step further than even just following him because the step after following is worshiping. I hope you take the next step from being a Jesus follower to be a Jesus worshiper, Worship the king in spirit and in truth. And in everything that you've got, that your whole life begins to pour out in worship. And this is where we find Mary. And this is who she is. She is just a worshiper. We, we, we know her character by now. She, she is just wanting to hear from Jesus and, and worship Jesus and, and be with Jesus. And, and she is responding in this moment for something Jesus just did. Jesus raised her brother Lazarus from the dead. And so, so Mary's response is to get this anointing oil that's worth a year's wages, 40 to $60,000 this would be worth in our current day's wages. And she takes it and brings it before Jesus and begins to pour it out over him. Notice Jesus never asked for it. No one ever instructed it. We, we don't see any reference to it. Nothing. This came of herself. Why? Because this was her response to God's extravagance to her. See, she's, she saw Lazarus die. She was in the room when he was ill. She was in the room when he passed on. She was one of the ones that bandaged him up and bound him for death. She walked behind the casket. She, she put him in the, in the cave into the, the grave. But she was also there when Jesus showed up, when Jesus spoke into the tomb, and Jesus brought life out of death. This wasn't theoretical to her. This was real. This was holy. This was serious. And what's her response? Worship. Real worship. She goes and she finds the most expensive thing she has. And she comes before Jesus at dinner, and she ceremoniously worships, worships him, and she, she ceremoniously cleanses his feet and, and, and pours it on his hair, and, and there's a pouring out. We, we see that, that, that first and foremost that this purenard was very costly. It reminds me of what David says, I'm not going to bring God that which does not personally cost me. I'm not gonna worship God with my leftovers. I'm not gonna worship God with my so-so. I'm not gonna have a laissez-faire approach to God. Maybe I'll go there, maybe I'll go to the movies, maybe I'll worship Jesus, maybe Buddha's got something to say. No, no, she's saying I've got everything I've got, I'm putting on Jesus. He is the one. It wasn't a philosophy or an idea, it was Jesus. He is the one. Let me tell you, there's a different kind of worship that comes from a real encounter with God. Let me just, uh, there's a different kind of worship. You know, it, when you can intellectually get to God, you can get there through, you know, certain experiences and, and you can be calm and collected. But when you really need Jesus and he really shows up, there's a whole kind of worship, a new level that you reach. And this is her. She's taken a great cost and she does it of her own free will. No one had to tell her to do it. No one, no one pushed her into it. The Bible says when you give, don't give under compulsion and don't give when you're frustrated about it because God loves a cheerful giver. God doesn't want forced worship from anyone. When he made mankind, he gave it free will, and he says, you go ahead and choose. You go ahead and choose. And and with that saying, you can choose not to worship me as well. Look at the vulnerability of God, saying, I'm going to be good. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be mighty, and you get to reject me if you want. But Mary chooses not to reject, but to receive. And she receives Jesus as her Savior, and she begins to pour out her worship. It's a beautiful moment, totally on her own. And and, and, not on, and, and and what happened in this moment was not only was this a great act and, and not only was this totally of herself. And, and you, I just I guess what I mean is like the purity of her worship. Like she didn't see anyone else do this before. This rose up out of her. You know what I mean? Because there's some worships that elevation can't lead you in. There's some worship that Hillsong can't help you with. There's some kind of things that rise up out of you. It looks different. There's some worship that's not music. There's some worship that's not praise. There's some worship that's dedication. There's some worship that's consecration. There's some worship that's sacrifice. There's some worship that's outside of the church. And sometimes you can't look at what everyone else is doing to determine your worship. She looks at Lazarus. She looks at Jesus. Martha is serving. That's her worship. Lazarus is having, being friends with Jesus. That's his worship. But Mary's got a different kind of worship. And it's totally her own. And, and, and Jesus loves it. He, he loves to receive your personal worship. He, he doesn't want a carbon copy. If he wanted to, he could have made us all look the same, act the same, think the same, be the same. But he made us all different. And he delights in the multitude of the praises of his people. He wants you to worship you like you. And when she begins to pour out this offering, the Bible says all of a sudden the anointing begins to fill the whole room. Here's why when you begin to worship, it gets in the atmosphere. It just gets in the atmosphere. I'm telling you, I, I don't know if you can feel it on Sunday, but when we all begin to worship, it's just like the sauce gets stirring, you know? You can just feel it in the room. Something just begins to happen. There's, there's a smell in that room. The oil got, got on the people's clothes. You ever eat at a certain restaurant and you smell like that restaurant for the next three weeks (laughs) you can bring it back to dry cleaning three times and you just burn it i i I just gotta burn the item It, it got on their clothes it got on their hair it got on their skin her worship got on everyone else You think your worship doesn't affect those all around you? You think your worship doesn't affect your family? You think it doesn't affect your coworkers? You think it doesn't affect your company? Let me say this. You think it doesn't affect your soul? You're waiting for outside circumstances to correct your soul? I would submit to you that it is worship that bubbles up out of the inside of you that begins to align your soul, your heart, your emotions with Jesus. All of a sudden, there's a new fragrance in my life. I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm not saying you're perfect. I'm just saying as you worship, you get the godliness on you and in you. And, and make no mistake, when you worship other things, that gets in your soul as well. When you bow before the god of money, all of a sudden greed begins to rise up. When you bow before the god of anger, all of a sudden frustration begins to rise up. When you bow before the, the god of career, all of, a sudden, all of a sudden get ahead at any cost begins to rise up. When you, when you bow before the god of lust, all of a sudden adultery begins to rise up. you got to be careful who you worship. Because who you worship on the outside eventually gets on the inside. And the inside eventually overflows to the outside. It wasn't about the Judas missed it. He, he saw the money, but she saw the response. He, he saw the cost, but she saw the act. He, he was looking at the fragrance. She was looking at Jesus. This rose up out of her, and she poured it on Jesus, this incredible moment, thanking him, and, and all of a sudden, her worship gets on everyone else, and, and it's in the room, and it's beginning to inspire them, and it's this, it's this moment, you know, and, and you can you can feel that on Sundays. I don't I don't know if you can tell. You can feel when you when you drive out of here, you are the best. You are the kindest driver. You're not a Rhode Island driver. You're like an Oklahoma driver. When you're driving out of here, you're saying, "Come on in." You come on. Oh, you cut me off. I don't mind almost killing everyone around me as I stop. <laughs> you're fine. Monday though, when the anointing's worn off, you're like. Rah! think you're Vin Diesel or Fast and the Furious or something. Crazy. You you come in in on on Sunday, your kids' clothes are everywhere. You say, I'm glad I have kids. You guys are... (laughs) But on Monday, though, get these clothes. (laughs) On Sunday, you just just love your spouse. You know, you love your spouse on Sunday. On Monday, you need to get back to Sunday. I, I... I don't know if you're, you're getting what I'm saying. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me break it down for you. When I was an intern back in 2008, I went to Seattle to intern uh, at Judah Smith's church, and it was a great moment. And uh, uh, there, was, um, th- there, was, there was a very special item I had to bring with me because I wanted to get all the, all the ladies when I was there. And uh, this was 2008, so what I did was I bought a, uh, a full year supply bottle of Abercrombie & Fitch cologne. <laughs> you remember 2008, don't you? the one with the abs, the guy with the abs. Remember that? You know, you, you ever see that? You walk by the mall. There's like these models out front. They, they look a little bit like me. You ever, you ever been there? It's the store when you're walking by that you get hit by like just a, a wafting, you just get hit. You're like, Whoa, what's that smell? Is that the Holy Ghost? Or is that, is that California? What, what's going on? It was that it was, you know, so I that's what I had, because I, I needed all the help I could get as an intern, and, and I put it in a special place when I was unpacking my bag. I had a little tiny uh, cell, I mean room, I had a little tiny room that they put me in as an intern. I had a little cot, and I had like a little, um, a little tiny little uh, sink, and, and that, was, that was it. I think it was a converted prison. I'm not sure. They called it a college, but I don't know why there were so many bars on all the windows. Uh, so... I was in there and I, I put it in this special place when I was unpacking my clothes and I accidentally hit it off the shelf as I was putting my v away and it, it shattered it shattered I, I'm not saying it didn't break it shattered like a spontaneous combustion explosion and it went on everything it went on my clothes, it went on my dresser, it went on the sink, it went on the bed, it went on the mattress, it went into the four corners of the earth. It went, it went everywhere. Just like like a, like a flood, a flood of Abercrombie. And this was my first day. So I, I, cleaned, I cleaned it up as much as I possibly could. But for months, people would walk into my room, they'd be like, hey man, could I borrow, whoa oh you going on a date tonight what's going on in here oh man I woke up in it I went to bed in it I prayed in the Abercrombie anointing <laughs> to this day when I hear it it brings me back to 2008 I mean when I smell it uh it was it was when I hear it it, it, it was it was horrible it, it, was, it was so funny how it just it just lingered in the atmosphere you know it just lingered, and, and what I th- I think is pretty amazing is is when you worship, it, it just when you begin to become a worshiper, it, it lingers on you. It just lingers on you, and that's why people can sense there's something about you that smells different. There's there's something about you that looks different. I can't fully tell, but. But there's an anointing that lingers on you. And you've got to understand, when you worship, it gets in you. It gets on you. It gets over you. Pretty soon, it begins to get on the people around you. It, it begins to get on your family. It, gets, it begins to get on your kids. And people can sense it. You know, I, I knew a pastor that was, was very close to death, died multiple times, and, and came back to life. And he, he has a lot of sickness and a lot of issues. He's on dialysis two or three times a week. And he says this. He said, I, I need healing so much that I can never leave the healing atmosphere he says so I always play worship in my in my home every minute of the day so that no matter when I come home if I'm on a trip for weeks or whatever every time I walk in I walk into an atmosphere of healing because healing comes in worship let me tell you something when you begin to worship God it begins it begins to get in you it begins to get on you it begins to change your mind your thoughts your actions your marriage it's a process it's a process but let me tell you It's worship that brings the overflow. It's worship that brings the anointing, and the anointing breaks the yoke. The Bible says the anointing breaks the yoke of bondage. The anointing breaks slavery, breaks you out of slavery, and brings you into freedom. So you got to understand your worship is powerful. It's so powerful, that's why the enemy hates it. It's why he tries to keep you from church every Sunday. It's why he tries to, man, it's so easy to go see a movie. It's so difficult to get kids to come to church. Why? Why? Because one is powerful, that's why the enemy tries to keep you from the right relationships. Why the enemy tries to keep you out of the anointing? Are you with me? You understand? It's so powerful. It begins to get in you and and on you, and and begins to flow through you, and and it gets on everyone you know in the room. And, And Judas's reaction is interesting, though. Judas doesn't care about this beautiful moment. All he cares about is the cost and the money and the technicality and what she's doing. And and all of a sudden he begins to say, are you serious? Excuse me, are you serious? You're going to spend a whole year's wages on this right now? He says, why this waste? Waste? Let me tell you, when it comes to Jesus, there's no such thing as waste. There's no such thing as waste. Why this waste? See, he could only think it's waste if his true God was not Jesus. Because when it comes to Jesus, worship is never a waste. Following is never a waste. Serving is never a waste. Loving is never a waste. Being part of the community is never a waste. Giving is never a waste. But here he comes trying to control how she worships, how she gives of herself. And and, and here comes this voice that, 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 is scolding her, like almost like she's a little girl, like she doesn't get it, begins to scold her. Why would you do this? How could you do this? You could do so much more with this. And then begins to try and tell her how she should be worshiping. Shouldn't be doing this. You should be giving to the poor. Amazing. He uses the poor as a shield for his own selfishness. It wasn't about the poor. It was about Judas. It was about himself because the reality is his heart was wrong. And his heart was all about money. Jesus said, there's going to come a time you have to choose God or money. In this moment, Judas made his choice. He said, I, I, choose, I choose money. And he used it by saying what you could have done with it. But the reality was, it was all, it was all about himself. He's the one with the issue. He's the one with the problem. And now he begins to try and tell her how she should be worshiping out of, the, out of his own, hmm, can I, I use the word betrayal? Out of his own lack of worship? It's the same problem Lucifer had at the beginning of time. Lucifer said, I will ascend the mount of the most high and I will receive his worship. Let me tell you, the antichrist spirit always wants to divert your worship away from Jesus. Anything that diverts your worship away from Jesus to another person, to another thing, I'm telling you, that's an anti-God spirit. And that anti-God spirit began to rise up in Judas and began to say, why are you doing that? Why are you doing this? And he began said, say, you should do this instead. You should do that instead. Let me, let me tell you something, church. Be careful who you listen to when it comes to your worship. Be careful who you allow to direct and control your worship. It better be someone that loves Jesus. Because here's, here's the scary thing. They could be a follower, but still be a Judas. They could be a follower. They could be in the church seen the miracle, but still be a Judas. See, she was worshiping out of a real place. Her brother actually died. She actually needed a miracle. She actually got Jesus, and her response is something real. It wasn't real to Judas. He followed, but he never had that deep experience, that deep conviction that this is God, and I would do anything for him. I would give everything for him. He never had that conviction. Let me tell you, church, you need to have your own conviction. You need to have your own conviction. You need to have your own worship because there, there's a moment where, where it's not Sunday, it's Tuesday, and you need to know how to reach God. And, and there's a moment when you're in the hospital room alone and you need to know how to pray to your own God. You say, I need, I need a shepherd. Right now, you be the shepherd for your family. You need to stand up and know how to reach up to God. And you got to be careful to never, ever crowdsource your convictions. you got to be careful to never let your worship be dictated by anyone that isn't a true follower of Jesus. Because, because here's the thing. When you look at Judas, he's, he, he has all the qualifiers. Yeah, he's a follower of Jesus, but see, his heart, his heart was wrong. His heart was wrong, and only God knows the heart. What am I saying? I'm saying you got to be very, very careful. you got to be care- careful who you listen to because here's why. It's amazing to me how many times people who don't believe in Jesus want to tell me how to worship him. It's amazing to me how the whole world that doesn't know Jesus wants to tell me who he is, and he was actually a socialist, and he actually wanted to do this, and he actually wanted to do that, and you better be careful because he's not like an evangelical, but he isn't like this, but the Catholics have this wrong, and the Methodists have that wrong, and actually they're wrong, and they're wrong, and we're wrong, and you're wrong, and you're there, and it's like, well, have you ever read the Bible? Uh, I I read a blog. I read a BuzzFeed article about it. Oh, hold up. You don't believe in Jesus. You're not, you don't have a conviction about Jesus. So I can't let you affect or direct my worship. I believe in him. He saved me. He loves me. My worship is a response. It's not about money or technicalities. It's not about how much I should give or what I should do. I, I just want to love Jesus. Everything is an overflow. This isn't a have to. This is a get to. This is a want to. Jesus did everything everything for me. I'm telling you, church, you got to be careful who you allow to direct your praise because they might be a great aunt, but they're a bad God. Because the reality is Judas wanted that for himself. The enemy, the enemy, the, the religious spirit always wants to redirect praise away from God towards yourself. And here's the thing. If, if you're going to start listening to everyone else, how to worship if you're going to begin to redirect your praise towards everyone else, they're going to have to be the ones to bless you. They're going to have to be the ones to show up in the midst of tragedy. And here's the reality. Judas never raised anyone from the dead. Jesus is the only one worthy of your worship. He's the only one. I thank God Mary didn't ask the room how she should worship. Is this okay with you? What do you think about this? Is this too far? Is this too much? What do you think? Is this too much? I know, is this, is this too much? I'm going to church like, like every week. Is that, is that too much? Is that crazy? And, 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 and you got to be careful because they're going to say, what, every week? Every week? Are you crazy? You, you, say, you say, I've got a conviction. I just want to give. I want to be a part of my community. They say, what? Do you know who you are? You are amazing. you got yourself here. Your church would be lucky to have you once a month. Your church would be lucky that you're – your church would be – hold on. Do you love Jesus? with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. If not, I love you, but I don't receive from you. I want to receive from God. I want to receive from Jesus, not Judas. You got to have your own relationship with Jesus. It's got to be yours. It's got to be based on who he is and what he's done for you. And out of that, I'll give him everything. Out of that, he'll accept my best. One of the other translations, one of the other other gospels, Jesus actually says to Judas, leave her alone. She's brought what she could. Listen to the acceptance of Jesus. He says she's doing her best. She's bringing what she can. It might not be what you can bring, Judas, but she's bringing bringing her best. Listen to the acceptance in Jesus' voice. This is who he is towards you. He's not looking for what you're not bringing. He's not looking for where you fall short. He's not looking for what you're not doing enough. Jesus is grateful that you're with him. Jesus is glad that you're worshiping him. Jesus is hopeful for you. Jesus is accepting of what you're bringing, and I hope you're bringing your best. He's saying she's doing her best. I'm with her. What a beautiful God. What a beautiful moment. I want you to know you're coming to church today. You're doing your best. I think it's beautiful. You know, I know even in this room, there's atheists in this room that are searching. I'm glad you're here. You're doing your best. It's beautiful. I met someone last week, and he said, I I came to your church for quite a few months. He said, my work schedule changed, but when I was coming, I would go with my girlfriend. She was an atheist. And he goes, you know, she doesn't believe anything you're saying, but uh, she really loved the church. And I was like, I get it. I get it. He's like, yeah, the people and the the, the coffee and the, the, the room and the music. He's like, I don't know. She just loved the atmosphere. I know why, though. It's because of the anointing. It's because of the anointing in the atmosphere. Why does she like the church? Because of Jesus. The King of Kings. The Lord of Lords. The one who's worthy of our worship and worthy of our praise, it's because of Jesus. And she's getting around Jesus people because the fragrance we give off. It's like perfume. I want to be around it. I want to be in it. I pray that your life becomes a worship to God and it's a response to his great grace. Bible says that after dinner, the whole crowd gathered around Jesus and they began to shout Hosanna, which you know what that means? It means save us, save us, save us for a moment. They realized he is the savior. He is the one that is to come. He is the one that we've been waiting for. They're shouting, save us, save us. And the disciples, they can't help it they have to burst out and just praise. They begin to say, this is the one who's blessed. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, King of kings and Lord of lords. They begin to shout, and here comes that religious spirit again. All the Pharisees on the side saying, Jesus, tell him to be quiet. Religion always wants for you to be less, be quiet, do nothing, sit down, be isolated, shut up. But Jesus, I love Jesus, he's an agitator. He riles people up wherever he goes. He says, not only am I not going to tell them to be quiet, if they were to be quiet, I would find my praise from somewhere else because I'm worthy of worship. It's who our God is. And when you walk down the Mount of Olives, this is what's on your right and on your left. See, the Mount of Olives is a 3,000-year-old graveyard graveyard. So when Jesus says the stones will cry out, he wasn't just talking about natural stones. He was talking about gravestones. What's Jesus saying? If the living don't worship me, I'll raise the dead to life and I'll have them worship me. I'll bring life out of death. I'll raise people out of the grave. I'll break the yoke of bondage. I'll break the back of slavery. I will reach into death. I'll bring out life and we will worship together. This is our hope, church. This is our faith, church. This is why we worship, church. Come on, just say hallelujah. Thanks for listening to the Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.